Hey, welcome to the Gig Life Podcast. I'm your host, Stevie Taylor. My guest today is Glenn Wilson. Glenn is a wonderful drummer from Sydney. I met Glenn last year, albeit via Zoom due to COVID and all that sort of stuff. Um, Glenn was part of the panel for the, the Simon Phillips Spotlight uh, podcast episode that we did. So it was great this time around to actually meet Glenn face-to-face and we hung out at a studio and, and had this chat. So hope you dig it. This is episode 134, Glenn Wilson, here we go. Right, I think we're rolling. Glenn Wilson, <laughs> welcome to the Gig Life Podcast. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to hold off. Yeah, don't no. know well, what what that what that was. People, was I, I've got this little new <laughs> recording unit. It's got these built-in sound pads, and the custom number pad number D is. <laughs> and having a couple of drummers in the room, I, I figure it's quite sort of. Quite fitting. Let's go. Come on. <laughs> um, for people that that didn't listen to it, um, Glenn and I have actually done a podcast before. We did a um, Simon Phillips um, spotlight episode last year with Gordon Ripmeister and my old drum teacher, Lance Phillip. So we spent a couple of hours together that, that afternoon yeah. in front of a Zoom. Great fun. It was good. It was good fun. So yeah. um, here we are. Now in your studio, which is, it's kind of cool, man, because I've seen all your, watched all your videos and it's kind of, I don't know, if you, if you watch something long enough, you, you, you kind of feel a little bit sort of invested or part of it. And then to actually be here, like in the room where you've recorded all the stuff and there's the worm and, you know, and there's the, the you know, your, um, um, you know, all your, um, treatment, wall treatments on the, on the walls that you've talked about in your videos and stuff yeah um yeah. yeah it's cool it's cool to be here man did you did it feel smaller bigger what it feels was... small it's smaller yeah yeah um i think the micro the the cameras you got in here it actually looks like a really big room it does and it's it? really impressive yeah 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 wide angles yeah so i'm it's... currently in the closet from, hanging from a coat hanger <laughs> <laughs> People are going to get sick of that. But, you should uh, have a giveaway how many times you use it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we said at the start we'll, we'll just try and use it once, but I mean that's <laughs> twice already in the first couple of minutes. Well, I mean that's interesting. The The whole thing with the Instagram was that I wanted to just document the process of doing this. Yep. You know, because I'd sp- I've spent a lot of time in studios, but never – I kind of have a, um, I don't know, romantic uh, – affection to engineers yep. and just how skilled they are yep. and just I'd sort of drawn a line that that wasn't something I could do, you know. Mm. Um, so once I sort of decided to just jump in and do it, um, I thought I'll document the process and so I can look back, you know. It's always good to look back and see where you've come from. For sure. Yeah. How long have you had or when, or when did you build the studio? This is all COVID. This, this, this was year. all COVID? Yeah. So COVID kicked off and I was homeschooling the kids. My wife's a nurse, so she was flat out the whole time. Yeah. 
Um, and I thought, oh, man, I really want to do this, you know. Yeah, we've, cool. we've been here for quite a while. Yeah. And I, I've got an office upstairs where I do a, a lot of video work. Yeah. But uh, nowhere to play the drums, mm. you know. Yeah. So then. So, so you never had a drum room either, like. No. At, it, at all. This was sort of a garage. I had a pad set up and a yeah, little yeah. kit, you know. Oh, wow. And, yeah, I said to my wife, what do you think, you know, like. I'm not earning any money. Let's spend a bunch of money. <laughs> <laughs> and no, she's she was totally cool. So yeah, a friend of mine is a carpenter. He builds sort of studios. So he helped me frame it up, and then I sort of ran out of money and had yeah. to finish it myself. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the um, this the shape. Uh, I, like I'm sitting. I'm. I, well, if you go, if people, if you go to um. Glenn's videos, there'll be a link for it in the show notes. I'll, I'll link the YouTube and also your Instagram and you can see the room yourself. I'm currently sitting near near the keyboard and the and the um, monitor. The shape of this roof here, was was that um, – what was the thought in mm. having that shape or was it like this? Yeah, so I mean – Originally, this was a – it's a double garage long-wise right. uh, and a single car wide. Yep. Um, and what they've done is because the the block sort of slopes down, the garage ended up being really high. High up, right. Um, so what they did is they cut into that and built an office upstairs. Oh, so okay. that is actually the floor of the office upstairs. Ah, uh-huh, right. Which is why it's so low. Right. Um, and then we had to – you know, put as much as we could in there to get some isolation. Yeah. But, yeah, this area here was not on purpose. It's just what was oh, left. Oh, that's what, okay, right. And initially I was just going to put a wall up here and right. just make it that, you know. Okay. But I'm so glad I didn't. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> because now I can engineer there and have people in here, yeah. you know, over there and yep. yeah, it's great. Do you find the shape of it, it, it it's actually, it's, um, you'd have some reflections bouncing around here. This is the ugliest part where you are. Yeah, yeah. But um, in general, because nothing else is parallel, everything yeah. else is, you know, skew width. Yeah. Uh, uh, there's very minimal buildup, you yeah. know, yeah. like low frequency or, or dodgy stuff. That's cool, man. Yeah. It yeah. turned out, I mean, I, there's nothing scientific about it. It's yeah, yeah. all luck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know. Um, but, yeah, sonically, I'm so happy with it. You yeah, know. your videos sound they they sound and, and they look really really good. Oh, thanks. Fantastic. Well, I mean, having the video business, I got a lot of gear just laying around. You know. Right. Okay. Well, let's yeah. um let's talk a little bit about that then, because uh, is is that Polydivision? Hmm. Yep. yep. So talk a little bit about that. Okay. So I did my first musical in 2004, which was Saturday Night Fever, and that was like all around Australia, through Asia, New Zealand, eighteen months tour. Mm. And um, I was, I've always been into movies, you know, uh, cinematography, yep. things like that. Just always loved it. So I'd bought a camera to take with me, a little sort of digital Sony Cybershot. Um, and, you know, I was just filming stuff and it's, it could film for like 60 seconds or something, you know, and it's tiny little 320 mm. thing. But, you know, being on tour with these actors and, you know, uh, all these great uh, sort of flamboyant people, we would make these little videos, you know, like uh, stage videos and, you know, mockumentaries and stuff, you know. And and then I would cut them together and I sort of started, you know, this is just when internet cafes were sort of becoming mm. quite popular and I would just go and 
jump in a cafe, try and find uh, tutorials on Premiere Pro or how to edit, you know, like. Yeah, cool. Yeah. So I would film these little things on this camera and then, um, you know, study the editing in the booth. I'd have all my books on After Effects and stuff like that, you know, in between shows. So I did that and then uh, at the end of that tour, Darren Ferrugia came and filled in for me for two weeks and I went on tour with a friend called Sam Hawksley. He's a really close friend and we supported Keith Urban around Australia and I took that camera and every night I just set it up in different spots and filmed the same song. And at the end of the tour, I cut it all together, took some tour footage, just as a gift to him, mm. you know, to say thanks because, you know, I could see Chris McHugh play every night and it was just amazing. Mm. Anyway, so I cut it together, gave it to him and then a couple of weeks later he called me and said, hey, I showed it to the record company, they want to buy it. Wow, really? <laughs> and I said, no way. Okay, go for it. Uh, and then I started to think, man, maybe I could do this, you know. So I bought another camera and just, you know, grew from there. Yeah. Yeah, and then I started doing music videos and then I ended up at the Country Music Awards um, and a friend of mine who was a lighting guy called Paul Collison, uh, who was he was the lighting guy for Tanya Kernigan when I was on tour with her, he had gone into lots of other stuff, lots of broadcast stuff and he was having some issues with a file and I just happened to be there and I said, oh, I can fix that. And pulled out the laptop and fixed it. Anyway, like a year later, he called me up and said, hey, the X Factor's come to Australia. I want to try and pitch the, for the video thing, you know, like to do the video content. Yeah, yeah, in the, yeah. And I said, oh, cool. Well, that'd be great. <laughs> yeah. So he pitched it. I went and had an interview with the, with the guy at the X Factor and it was terrible. Yeah. It was terrible, <laughs> and I thought, the oh. the interview was terrible. But the, the interview was terrible. But the product was good, right? Because I think those people their their um, perception is that you know, like a production house will come in yeah, and take yeah. care of the show, right? And there's me, that's, you know, a guy from Flemington with a Mac, saying, "Hey, we can do this," <laughs> and he just didn't <laughs> buy it. Anyway, I just thought that was not going to happen. And anyway, somehow that happened. We did the run. We did the first X Factor, and they loved it. Uh, and then I did, I don't know, seven years or something on that show. Wow. Yeah. So my job was to, all the content that goes in the screens on the stage. Yeah. Uh, and and then from that we did The Voice, Young Talent Time. It was just, that's, if I can categorize my life in decades, that was my 30s to 40s. Yeah, right. Like 10 solid years of TV. And in that time I was doing musicals but yep. no sort of gigs around town. Okay. You know? Yeah. So I guess with yeah having the mu musicals, you've got your, um, I guess schedule wise, yeah, it's a little bit easier to yeah to manage instead of you know jumping around doing gigs around town. <laughs> well, you don't have to car gear or anything. Yeah, yeah. You just roll up and yeah, yeah. Yeah. So was it um, was it something you're doing yourself, or did you have a did you have a team? I started off as. Uh, Paul was the operator, so he was operating and playback in real time yep. on set when they were recording. Yep. But I would do all the pre-production of the content. Uh, and then he, as we went on, he started editing as well and then the two of us were doing it. And then as it got bigger, we had we got people in and mm. we had, you know, three people in the end. Mm. Yeah, but for the first couple of years, just me. Still going now? No. Uh, I, I still do all that stuff, but yeah. just not in, not in those. Yeah. That capacity. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, cool. So what are you doing with it now? What's It's more corporate now. Cool. Yeah. Uh, although, I mean, we just did Australia's Got Talent. So we did, still do a few of, the, of those things. Mm. Yeah, but like uh, 
more corporate video and stuff. Yeah, great. Because actually I'm more into, you know, I'm just so into playing <laughs> drums at the moment. Yeah, that, <laughs> that's great. That's cool. Okay, well, let's let's talk about your your musical upbringing then. So, well, we're currently at the foot of the mountains in Panther territory. Yeah. So did have, we have a good week the other week? Or did we not? I don't actually follow it. I, I me neither. Okay. No. <laughs> I think. Um, uh, actually, I, I I'd be guessing, man. Yeah, we me could, too. We could Google it. We're, we've been here twelve years, and we haven't been to a single game. Yeah, so. no, no, fair yeah. enough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so that answers that question. You've been here 12 years. So um, where are you from originally? So I grew up in the North Shore yep. of French's Forest. Yep. Yeah, I lived there till I was about 30. Yep. I had a great drum room under the house. Mm-hmm. My dad had laid um, like a cement foundation under the house mm. and I built a big room. Mm. So it was a rehearsal room for a lot of bands that I played in. Mm. Yeah. And then we had a granny flat upstairs which which we built for my nana. So when she passed, I moved into that. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. French is forest. Yeah. Cool. I went to Davison high, not forest high. If I'd gone to forest high, I would have been, um, under Steve Williams. Right. Okay. And his band, his big band was fantastic. Right. But, uh, I couldn't get there. Okay. Yeah. So. Steve Williams. Yeah. I'm yeah, sure. I'm not sure. You better check that. Okay. We'll check that. Great, fa- great. Fa- facts check. Great um, band leader and just invested so much into those kids. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So how did music start for you? You got a musical family? No. Not at all? No. No. Nothing. No instruments, no, they don't, music sort of washes over them. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yep. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. I just said to my mum one day, yeah, I was like in year seven or eight, so what's that, 13, 14? I want to play drums. And she organized a lesson with Don Osborne. Do you know, do you ever meet Don? No. Oh, Don was a wonderful guy. Mm. And um, yeah, that's, I just fell in love with it. Mm. Yeah. He was great. He, he was old when I met him. And um, I remember going in there and he was telling me who he taught. And he taught John Farris. John Farris one of my heroes. Mm. And, um, and he said, oh, yeah, John came over, but he just wanted to learn rock and roll. And Don had, like, pictures of Buddy Rich and Gene Krupa on the wall. You know, he was old school, mm. you know. Uh, <laughs> and I thought, oh, well, I'm not going to be like John. I'm going to learn everything, you know. <laughs> and then I, I didn't want to learn any of everything. I yeah. just wanted to learn rock and roll too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So was there a, um, a drummer that, that you saw that made you want to play drums or was it something that you heard or? Well, I grew up in the eighties. So, you know, like I was right into all the new romantic stuff, mm. Duran Duran and, yeah. and those kind of things. But by the time I got my first kit, which like could just kick and snare and hats, I was like, it was like uh, under a blood red sky, you know, Shibu Shiva in excess and like 10 to one, Midnight Oil. They, mm. they were the things, you know, mm. like 10 to 1 was the first record LP I ever had. Right. Which is a high bar. That thing's one of the greatest records ever. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And um, Rob had a, yeah. man, unbelievable. So, yeah, I would just play to that and that was it. That was my afternoons after school, you know. Yeah. But I was having lessons with Don but they were rudimentary yeah. things, you know, like uh, and also he was sort of veering me towards learning tune percussion so that I could be more of an orchestra player. Whereas I just really wasn't into that. I was just so into the eighties music. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I oh, I've told this story many times I think on this podcast, but I, I had a 
uh, this is before Lance, who, who you right. met. Right, yeah. Um, uh, his name was Norman Gadd and he was the symphony orchestra percussionist in New Zealand. Well, he was ex, ex-percussionist at that stage because he was quite old as well. But Yeah. Yeah, very rudimentary and um, I never got to sit down. It was I just I just walk in there with my sticks and he's sitting down snare drum in front of him, and um you know put the music up and just practice the rudiments. Yeah right. You know? And then um, <laughs> I just after I don't know how long it was just had a gut full of that. I just wanted to play, man. I just wanted to play rock. <laughs> me too. He never let me sit down at his drum kit until all, all, like I think once once we s- said that we weren't coming back. He goes, "Here, play. <laughs> sit down and have a play." Too late. I've been staring at that drum kit. <laughs> it was an old Remo drum kit. Oh, okay. Yeah, I yeah, don't know yeah. if you remember the Remo I do. drum kits. I do. Very and it, much. it had a similar finish to your Yamaha that you've got here. Right. But it had the big big toms. Yeah, yeah. Power tones. Yeah, and he had these Sabian. Um, they were, oh, what was the? They were sound. They were sound something, and they they had these little bows in it, and they oh, okay. were, they were kind of sound controlled, right? Um, but they they sounded great. Yeah, right. You know? Because wow. of course, like I. <laughs> what you mean to to dull the sounds? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. More of a practice. Symbol. More of a practice thing. Sound gotcha. control. I think they are right. Anyway, Sabian sound control or something. But, um, yeah, I just remember looking at that symbol all the time going, I want to hit it one day, but he's not letting me, you know. <laughs> but it, see, what he would do is he would get off his stool and he'd sit down and he'd show me stuff. Right. But, you know, <laughs> but then he'd come back and sit down and now. Now, back to, back to the rudiments, you know. I remember uh, Don having one of those really big Remo pads yep. that sat on top of the snare drum. Yep. And I was always like, when are we going to take this thing off? Yeah. I just want to hit this thing. Yeah. <laughs> but then when I hit it, I was like, that doesn't sound like the records I'm falling in love with. And that sort of um, weird disconnect between yeah. – the sound of recorded drums and the sound of acoustic drums, I could, I just couldn't get my head around it. And you, know? you picked it up back then? Yeah, like, I mean, I mean, if I was practicing to those, um, to those records, you know, like uh, In Excess or Midnight Oil, if you think about In Excess, like Shabu Shabar, that's a big, fat, low-tuned snare drum. And Rob Hurst is, you know, cranked. Yeah. Cranked as ringing, just yep. like crazy. And so... I couldn't, I couldn't um, practice a song unless the drum sounded like the track. Oh wow! It just, I couldn't do it. It just didn't work for me. So I was endlessly tuning, you know, like I'd play to, and, and even like if you think about um, Under a Blood Red Sky, it's a different thing again. Mm. So I would retune and then pull the cowbell out and play some Midnight Oil, you know, and retune, and I was just constantly wow. retuning. I just. Yeah, I had to have the drum sound like the record for, See, for me to play along. I didn't have that sense of tuning until much, much later. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, there was a certain sound. I, I, I spoke about this when we did the Simon Phillips um, podcast. A lot of the drummers in town were playing Tama drums. and Me too. Yeah, I had, I had Pearl drums. Right. But also there were some of the guys, it was around the time, do you remember the Remo Muffles? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that was the thing. Right. But that was that was the live sound. Yeah, yeah. So everybody had these muffles. So I thought, well, they've got them. I better get them. Yeah. You know, it's not much you can do with those looking back. You, you all know? sound the same, They all right? sound the same. Yeah, but, yeah. 
But um, I just thought, I just thought that's what drums had to sound like at the, at the moment because you well, know all my heroes in town had them. Yeah, you know? and probably that was closer to the sound of a recorded drum, anyway. Mm. In a sense, yeah, know? yeah. Back in there, that time, anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, but interesting. Yeah, it wasn't until I, I, I must, I think I was, <laughs> I wouldn't say I was the first, but. You know, I, I just took those muffles off one day and was when I was playing in my dad's gabbro band, I had these open ringing drums, you know. Oh, it all sounded great. It all sounded great. You know, <laughs> I thought so. Yeah, yeah. So we're we talking deep power toms? Yeah, deep, yeah. Deep toms? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Awesome. But, but even my pearl kit, when I got it, it was power toms as well. Yeah. Um, I ended up selling that kit two, three years ago to make some space. Oh, no way. You kept yeah. it that long? Wow. Yeah. I actually brought it over from New Zealand with me. Oh, man. Yeah. And it got – we packed it up in a – we got the special wooden box made and um, I took all the heads and all the hardware off and I paid this this removalist a whole bunch of money to pack it nicely in this box which would come over with the rest of our stuff right. or a whole bunch of other stuff from New Zealand. And um, got it here, unpacked it and he hadn't packed the shells he hadn't packed it because he sat all the shells inside each other. Yeah, and hadn't set, hadn't packed individual oh, shells. Yeah, and they were all scratched up and banged uh, up. And okay. oh man, <laughs> so yeah, no, that's not what you want. Because I remember the day that 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 because I was waiting for them to turn up, of course, and I was working, and the the um the box arrived at my work that day, and I, at lunchtime, here here, I took the top <laughs> off, and oh, I was devastated. Yeah, man. I bet. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. Um, we get attached to our drums. We do. <laughs> Very big, much. Big time. Big time. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, lucky I did sell them because like I was telling you before we started recording, you asked about my my space, my room. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, I don't have the room to set drums up any, anymore. And with that set of drums that I had at home, it was, you know, it was twice as bad. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so um, anyway, that's fine. It is a luxury um, to be able to hit a drum. Yeah. It really is. Mm. Yeah. Um, all right. So, yeah, so you, you've started getting lessons. So you, so did you move away from from that teacher? So, so yeah. So you could play was, rock and roll? I was with Don for a couple of years mm. and then I sort of mm, just lost interest. I didn't want to do the tune percussion thing. I didn't lose interest in the drums, just the lessons, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just stopped going and then... Um, I think once I left school, um, I got a part-time job and then just started answering, you know, drum media ads and stuff like that. Yep. Just started playing in bands around town. Yep. And just kept playing like that, not really knowing anything, not knowing anything technical, mm. just really copying songs. Mm. And then I met Mill and Troa at Billy Hyde's yep. and then that was sort of massive Turning point. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So what did he what did he bring to the table? Well, he just knew everything that there, he knew, you know, all the drummers. Like I, I was very closed off. I just didn't – I wasn't exposed to things, you mm. know. Like I guess it was a little bit harder back then but I didn't have people in my life that were really into it or had been for a long time. So I just knew that how to play simple beats but I didn't know about, you know – like rudiments and snare marching and things like that, mm. and and you know just the technical aspect of drumming was a mystery to me. You know, mm. a couple of times I'd heard drummers and 
do things and I thought, I wonder what that is. I have no idea. But it wasn't until that point that he could sort of explain it and show it to me, you know. Yeah, so meeting Milan was huge. Mm. So, yeah, and I just I, – I had lessons off him every week from then on. For how long? Oh, 10 years. Yeah, right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. The whole drum shop thing became a bit of a thing for me, you know. Yep, yep. You know, like – Seeing everybody once a week. That's it. Um, the community, you know. Uh, and, you know, I remember at French's Forest if I was trying to work on something or just felt a bit disillusioned or, you know, like you need gigs. If you're practicing a lot, you need an outlet. And if you don't have an outlet, you start to go stir crazy, mm. you know. And I remember just if that was happening, I would just get in the car, drive into Billy Hyde's and hang out. Yep, and, you know, yep, yep. you'd see something on the they used to run all the VHSs, yep. you know, or you'd run into some drummer or, you know, Mick Lamb would be there and he'd say, oh, check this out, you know. It was just a way to get inspired again and, you know, mm. and then you'd see all these people or you'd hear people in practice rooms and think, holy cow, what is yeah. that, you know. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. The, that whole thing of the drum shop was a great, Yeah, uh, I, re- I really loved that. Mm. It's yeah. a shame we don't really have that anymore, eh? Yeah, it's weird. Really. Well, maybe we do. I mean, oh, just well, we yeah, I, well, we I don't, guess. But you know, maybe that is around, but just in different ways. You know, because mm. yeah, there, I, I had something similar, not not quite to that extent, in my hometown, a little local uh, music shop called Beresford's Beresford Music. Right, and they, you know, they were the first um, shop in town to have CDs. Nice, you yeah. know, they, you know, I, my first first CDs I ever bought from there was. Phil Collins, but seriously live. Oh wow! And Earl Klug, you know who Earl Klug is? No, He's a classical guitar player. Don't know that. Oh man, awesome! Wow, look, look at oh, I'll send you a link. Yeah, bit, send me a link. And I've I've still got I've still got both those CDs. No way. Yeah, but anyway, the, um, yeah, they had a music shop there, so um, a lot of the stuff as I was developing, they didn't have, so I would go in there and go through the catalogs with my mate John, and we would find the parts, and then. He would locate them and would get them in, you know. Oh no way! So, so they were never that was never there. It was an, it was a like a, a low low budget sort of shop, right, right? But I was wanting this more high end stuff, which they were finding and bringing in, and then, gotcha. um, and then once, you know, I would go in there to pick up this high end stuff, and there'd be other drummers going, "What's this?" You know, and then so they'd be buying the high end stuff, and then they ended up getting some high end stuff into the shop. Yeah, right. Which was good for them, you know. So, so was this around the sort of um, the instructional, the birth of instructional videos around that time? Yeah, it was. Well, I had the Wickle and Gads one. No, what? I never had Gads one. Okay. Um, I had yeah both the Wickles. This is when I discovered the Simon Phillips. Oh yeah. DCI video. Yeah. Um, the Jeff Picaro video, um, what else? But you were importing CDs, is that what you were No, getting? no, the, were... the CDs, the CDs were there in the shop, oh, okay. just the normal CDs, but right, right. no, I was, I was wanting high end drum gear. Oh, okay. Instruments and cymbals and gotcha. stands and gotcha. like stands that they hadn't seen before and, you know, <laughs> a b- boom stand with a big weight on the end of it, yeah, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. But it wasn't a, it wasn't a Tama, it was a, was, um, um, the, I had a, have you ever heard of power beat drums? Yeah. 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 Well, that was my kit back then. Okay. Okay. But I was, I was trying to pimp it out and I had a set of bongos on a stand, custom stand, you know, splash cymbals, you know, going the whole Gavin Harrison 
simple tree thing. Um, yeah, right. Yeah. Rototoms? Nah, you, I never yeah. had the rototoms thing. Okay. Um, but yeah, so yeah, and symbols too. I was, I mean, I was sort of right into Sabian symbols at the time. And um, wow. But yeah, so these other drummers were coming in and seeing this gear that I was buying, and yeah, they right. were buying it too. So yeah, yeah, it's a great vibe. I reckon it is. Yeah, yeah. That's where I I met Chris Sweeney at uh, Billy Hyde's. Mm-hmm. Do you know Chris? No. He, he used no. to play with Wawani. Okay. He he actually went to um, PIT mm-hmm. over in America, and. Um, he was a huge influence because he was right into that sort of Minneapolis Prince, the time, mm. you know, Jesse Johnson, all that kind of stuff. I loved that stuff back then. Mm. I was right into programming and sampling and and uh, so he was a huge influence. He was teaching there, you know, yeah. just amazing people. And, you know, Billy Hyde's would always sort of, if someone was on tour, they'd reach out, grab them and they'd do like a 30-class, you know. Yeah, cool. Masterclass thing, you know. Yeah. Oh, it was just great, that stuff. It was great, yeah. You know, like guys you wouldn't think of. Like uh, I remember seeing Charlie Morgan and just hearing some of those stories and, yeah. you know, like I would never, you know, research Charlie Morgan or get yeah. to meet him. Yeah. But oh, what a great vibe. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Great shame. times. I would um, go into Billy Hyde's. This is once I'd moved to Australia, obviously. Um, I would cruise down there on a Saturday afternoon or Saturday morning or whatever it was and just check out stuff. Um, probably two years before that I was playing in a band and, and this guy used to always come along and watch, right, and then we'd hang out afterwards and it's Johnny Adams. Oh, no way. Yeah. Oh, man. So we we became quite good, really good mates because he would come to my gigs and watch me play and right. then afterwards we'd hang in the car park and just talk for hours, you know. Anyway. Um, I'd finished up with that band or whatever and, and then I was in Billy Hyde's one day and and this guy comes, hey, Chief, how are you? <laughs> oh, Johnny. <laughs> so Johnny was working there. So, you know, I, I would get really good discounts on stuff and, yeah. you know, I'd go in to buy a pair of sticks, walk out with a couple of symbols, <laughs> yeah. a new symbol bag or something. And He was a – John's a great guy. Yeah, top he, he, too. He would always, you know, really look out for you in the shop. You for know? sure, yeah. Yeah. He was great. Yeah. Yeah. Mikey Miller, great drummer too. He's top drummer. Holy cow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, he um he you played can... and he filled in for me in my band at my wedding. No way. Yeah. <laughs> Your band played at the wedding. My That's band my, yeah, my band played at the wedding and yeah, he filled in. Did you yeah. play? Did you? Oh yeah, I I jumped up there yeah, yeah. for jam. Okay. Yeah. Nah, Johnny. Um Yeah, so yeah, Billy Hyde's so was did that also um, introduce you to op- to gig opportunities as well, or were you still trying to get your gigs? No, I wasn't really. Rate? I was in a couple of bands, but yeah. I was actually in bands. You know, I wasn't okay. freelancing or anything. Yeah. Um, and then around that time, I'm thinking that the Harborside Brasserie was really yep. happening. Yep. So then I got to see like Gordon play yep. and Andy mm. Hamish, you know, mm. and they were doing all those really great. Um, sort of jazz fusion gigs, yeah. you know, and, you know, I remember seeing Gordon the first time and just I'd never seen anyone play like that, yep. you know, like traditional grip and, yep. you know, just because I really wasn't even turned on to Weckle that much, you know. Mm. So, um, yeah, that time was amazing, you mm. know, and seeing all those guys play, pretty incredible. 
like the standard. So that luckily I was having lessons with Millen, so I could say, hey, I went to see this guy the other night, you know, Gordon Rittmeister, and he was doing crazy stuff. And Millen understood what he was doing, where he was coming from, mm. and I could, you know, work chip away at stuff, you know. Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah. That was a great time. Yeah. Yeah, so then around that time the sort of acid jazz thing was happening. Yep. Dig were playing around town, brand new heavies, all that stuff was happening. And there were lots of venues and so I started playing in these little acid jazz bands, you know. And then that just sort of led to other things and, yeah, before I knew it I was, you know, gigging regularly, you know. Mm. Yeah, playing badly but gigging regularly. <laughs> <laughs> um, was – did you have any – was that your your – um, source of income or? Well, I did a little bit of teaching at some schools and I was still working at Grace Brothers. So, okay. and I was living at home. So, you know. Okay. Yeah. I was well looked after. So what were you doing at Grace Brothers? Just storehand. Just storehand. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you mentioned teaching there. So when did you start getting into that? Uh, I think Millen recommended me for a few things. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. And just little school gigs, you know. Yeah. Great. Um, yeah, I started doing that. And then I ended up actually getting a job at Dixon's Music and teaching for about 10 years pretty solidly. Mm. But then I started – at the end of that run, I'd started to get um, some studio work. So then I started thinking, well, look, I practiced all my life to do this and all I wanted to do was do, you know, sessions and gigs and mm. now I'm teaching and it's stopping me from doing those yeah, things. Right, right. So I had to sort of let it go. So, you know, and then you're sort of juggling when you can't really afford to just do gigs and you need the teaching and mm. – but, yeah, I pushed through and got there and just sort of started playing full time, mm. which is great. Then the recording thing took off and that was – if I think about that, that's like 2000 to 2010, that decade of just recording, you know. Wow. That's Yeah, cool. because uh, I, I was playing a lot of country music. Yep. And there were lots of little independent country record labels. They were all funding records. So we would go in and do like three days and track a record, you know, and do that two or three times a month, you know, and then odd ones here and there. There's um, so much recording around. It was great. Mm. And if you mention that to the old guys, like Doug Gallagher and all those guys, they'll laugh at you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because they were doing like three a day, yeah. you know. yeah. But even to me, that time was magic, you know. Mm. I got to play with amazing people. Mm. Uh, yeah, sorry, I'm jumping around. But, but please do. Yeah, but well, that, I'm, I think I'm pushing you around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, that was a great time. Yeah. Do you remember that the first time you went into a studio? Because, you know, you've, you're, at, you're at home and you're – tuning your drums for the different records and stuff and you would have had it in the back of your mind, oh, you know, I can't wait to get into that studio sometime. Do you remember that? I do. What, that feeling or what the, and what that session was? Yeah, it was, well, there's another guy who's a big, big guy in my life. His name's Herm Kovac and he had a studio in Brookvale called uh, Ramrod. And so I went in there with my the band that I was playing with and I was right into sequencing and um, programming and, you know, 80s stuff. We were going to do two tracks and I programmed all this stuff. So we set it all up, you know, set my drums up, played the track through and like playing to a click was, I just thought it was a given. It wasn't a issue for me, you know. And Herm 
like he tells me this story later because I was oblivious at the mm. time, but he's like, his ears pricked up thinking, wow, this guy's sitting with the click pretty good, you know, and we had all this stuff going on. And, um, but I remember he lent me a, like a black beauty to play, you know, and he had beautiful gear and a great desk. And that was the first time I was in the, in the studio. And anyway, years later I would run into him and he sort of kicked off my whole uh, career in the studio for sure. He was the guy who went into bat for me. Mm. Yeah, he booked me for one thing and then that worked out really well and then just kept booking me. Mm. And then other people booked me from that. So, yeah, he was a great guy. But his studio was the first one, yeah. Mm. Were there studio, international studio drummers that you were aware of that, that you were – sort of studying how they were doing it since you were in the studios doing it? Was there guys you were yeah, but seeking I, out? I didn't understand what being in the studio meant. Okay. Do you know what I mean? I do like, know what you mean, yeah. Like I didn't understand um, how to play in the studio, how to tune for the studio. Like right. I didn't understand any of that stuff. Mm. So – you know, I mean, I would go and see Phil Collins uh, when he would tour. He was a massive guy for me, mm. you know, and I would see all these international guys. But I didn't know the guys who were in the studio in Australia. Okay. I just didn't know anyone, you mm. know. Um, but, yeah, once I'd, once I'd sort of had enough of an idea to work out what they were doing and, and how it's so different, you know, like how you – you know, you don't want to go into the studio and smash your cymbals um, and you want to understand compression and how things work. Like once I started to get my head around that, everything mm. changed. But, yeah, I just, I just didn't know, you know. And to be honest, I was so busy just trying to not fail. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> it, wasn't a, it wasn't on my radar, you know. Yeah. But, I mean, I'd heard records. Like I remember hearing Notorious, the Duran Duran record, and with Steve Ferroni playing, mm. we were talking about it and just thinking, what is going on? Mm. Like so sonically, what is that? What's happening? And how is he playing all that stuff? Mm. But then I went back and checked out the average white band and, you know, yep. you have to go back. Yeah, for sure. It's, yeah. And then, but I didn't learn that till later, you know. And mm. I think, I remember Gordon saying that to me, you got to go back, man. Go and check out these guys, you know. Mm. And that's when I started going back and. Because at that time I'd grown up in the 80s listening to the 80s, you know. Right. That was just my thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. You can't get rid of it. Yeah. When did the theatre drumming start? Because you're pr quite prolific there, aren't you? You've done a lot of shows. And I ended up, yeah, I ended up doing a lot. But that was that Saturday Night Fever tour that I did, that yep. one I spoke about. Yep. Yeah. So that, that was the beginning of it. Mm -hmm. um, it's the first one that I got... Yeah, mm. got given, which was great. Um, you know, I'm I'm fascinated with pit bands and that whole ecosystem. It uh, is an yeah. ecosystem. Yeah, yeah. It is. Yeah. Um, you know, one thing uh, personally I would struggle with would be the monotony of it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, two, three shows a day, whatever it might be for 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 however long your run is, having to play note for note as per the charts or the books, whatever. Yeah. How do you navigate that? How do you keep it fresh for yourself? Or does it get to a point where it's like money's in the bank, bro? <laughs> well, no, no, never. I don't yeah. think it ever. Yeah. 
Well, the way I explain it to non-musicians is imagine, like imagine a hall, a school hall. Yep. And I said, I'm going to lay down footsteps all around this hall. And if you follow them, it'll take you two hours. Now I want you to vacuum this hall and I want you to tread on every single step the same. And you can stop, but when you stop, you have to be perfectly still and you can't talk to anyone or say anything. Then you can start again, but you have to start at a different tempo and you have to do everything that I say. And you can't put a foot out of step. Yep. Um, then come back and do that every day. <laughs> and can you imagine mentally? Yeah. Imagine if you tried to do that mentally, what, what a taxing event that would be. Yep. And not so much intellectually, but just boredom and just physically doing that. Yeah. So with the, the musical What's fascinating about the musical is you're with a whole bunch of people and you're going through cycles and none of the cycles match up. And I mean like emotional things, yeah. personal life. So, and you think, oh, I'll have a, I'll have a bad gig and then I'll have a good gig. But it's not like that in the theater. It's more like you'll go through a slump of two or three weeks and then you'll start having a good period and then, you know, you'll go again. It's mm. a longer arc of ups and downs for me. Mm. And the thing is that you might be, having a great time at that point, but there's someone else that's going to be really struggling and then you're in such close contact and there's so many, you know, things happening in the theatre in that pit at the same time. You know, you might just get someone who's overly negative or doesn't want to be there. Mm. Imagine those personalities all rubbing each other and then the smallest thing can start causing friction and also people get bored and they need friction sometimes, you know, or drama or whatever. So there's all this stuff going on in the pit that's not musical, nothing to do yeah. with actually playing. Yeah, yeah. It's just relational and, and you know, I remember getting in the pit and just playing like crazy and just driving everyone nuts, you know. <laughs> so I had to learn, you know, how to be um, just to treat people with a bit of empathy <laughs> yeah, yeah. in the sense that they're all going through stuff and they come to work to, you know, do this thing. Mm. Um, yeah. The theatre is tricky. I know what you mean. But, you know, magic can happen in those places. Yeah. And when you do those shows and, you know, you're playing with great players and and the score is good, mm. you know, incredible things can happen. It's very exciting. I reckon everyone should do it at least once just to experience it, mm. you know, um, because it's a great it's a great thing to do, the discipline of it, you know, like yep. playing note for note. Yep. And, you know. Sitting with a click or not sitting with a click, you know, if it's a show without a click, mm. you know, and then just the whole navigating personalities and learning how to be a team player, yeah, yeah. you know, not bugging people and understanding sometimes they just need some space, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It would, is the ecosystem. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, would you, you know, you, that's interesting you're talking about. I never thought of it, you know. Was just my idea of everyone's in there and hey, let's just get through the show together, all on the same level or whatever. It's interesting that you're saying everyone's at that d different emotional sort of yeah, well peak or trough or whatever it might be. But um, well, that's not even taking into account that actual just personalities rub on each other. Yeah, right. Like they do. There's you nothing know? you can do about that. There's eh? nothing you can do about that, and that's there before you even get started. You yeah, know? yeah. So. I think if, if I've learned something, it's trying to identify when I just drive someone crazy and learning how not to do how that. Not to do it, yeah. You know? Uh, and I've done that enough yeah. to regret it. 
So I'm very wary of that. No, that's that's cool. Would you ever, you know, do you have like a a band meeting where you try and nut that stuff out, or you just no? Because just, it never goes to the band. Yep, it never goes. It shouldn't ever go to the band leader. Okay. You know, and yep. it shouldn't escalate. Mm. You know, I mean, sometimes you find that maybe I've been this guy, but someone is the wrong person for the job, and it's hard for everybody else. Mm. You know, like just musically. And that can cause friction, mm. you know. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Mm. Just try and keep it sweet. Yeah, if you can. yeah. Um, how do you maintain your reading chops? Uh, I do a lot of prep for a musical. Yep, like a lot of prep. I'm yep. not the world's greatest reader at all. I don't generally come across something that I can't work out, mm-hmm. but. I do a lot of prep, yeah, leading up. So if you're going to dep for someone, because mm-hmm. Gordo told me you depped firm on Hamilton, is that right? Yeah. And yeah. and maybe, there's probably other stuff maybe you've – do you know a fair way in advance that that's coming up and then do you get the book Yeah, in I advance? mean I wouldn't do it unless I was Unless prepared. otherwise, yeah, okay, gotcha. Yeah, I kind of say that up, up front. Yeah. Because I'm just not – I don't have those skills mm. to sit down and pull it off. But are there people out there that do that though? That I'm just sure, get a call uh, and just rock in there and. Well, I'm sure there are people who would do it better than me. But um, yeah, I don't know. I spent. I mean, when I did Hamilton, that was probably the best experience I've had as far as preparation because I had like a camera, which was um, Laura's camera, the MD, mm. and then I had a camera of Gordo playing. Mm. Uh, I had a stereo mix of the show with click mm. and well mixed, so I could just throw it into Logic and just. You know, yeah, play through well, it. Yeah, that's cool. And I could see Laura. I knew what was coming when I got there. You know, even still, that's the hardest show I've ever done by far. But, you know, there was so much infrastructure put in place and Gordon did a lot of that. He rewrote all those charts and they were immaculate, you know. So that was a really hard gig made a lot easier mm. because of the work. But sometimes, you know, you go in and the charts are dodgy or mm. there's a lot of stuff that's not noted, you know. I don't know. It's worth depping on a musical because it's the worst situation that you can ever be in. Yeah, right. You know, because yeah. if you if you got a musical, yeah. you would have, you know, that you'd be given the stuff early, then you'd do rehearsals, then you'd have tech runs. You got a long time to get comfortable, iron out bugs, yeah. you know, and talk to people. Yep. So take all that away and just roll up on the day and play a foreign kit for the first time with no rehearsal, and that's what you're up against. You know, you you just have to do the preparation. Mm. There's no way around it, I don't think. Mm. But it's so worth it when you do. You know, bec- well, the other thing is that if you are the, the principal drummer in a musical, man, do you need a night off every now and then, you know? Yep. If you're doing six months, like when Darren came in and did that show for me, you know, I'd done that for about a year at that point. And what a bummer if I'd missed the tour with, you know, supporting Keith Urban. Yeah. That was an incredible experience. Yeah. And, you know, but he had to learn the whole show to come in and do that. So it's made me a lot more sympathetic. You know, when someone says, hey, can you come and do this? You know, like I just did Jagged Little Pill for Warren, Mm. but that got cancelled. I only did a handful of them. It was Mm. nowhere near worth the amount of work I had to put in to do it. I got cancelled due to COVID. Oh, just bad. Other other stuff. Yeah, just bad ticket sales, I think. Yeah, right. It's never really worth it to dip on a musical, but you – 
you can't um, imagine how much the drummer appreciates you coming in yep. and giving them some space to go and do a good gig or something. Yeah, you know, gotcha. or spend some time with their family or whatever. Mm. So I always try and say yes if I can. Mm. You know, one, it's a great challenge because it's the hardest thing to do. And, but two, you know, they'll help you out when you need it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool, man. You should do one. <laughs> I haven't played in a while, man. I don't think I'll be doing a theatre show. <laughs> well, I got I got offered a, a gig on Saturday um, to play a uh, was it's a rock gig, um, just playing like uh, you know Seattle type music, nice that kind of stuff. Um, but I said, nah, man. I haven't. I, I, I'd be letting the team down if I. <laughs> <laughs> if I rocked sure up, you yeah. Sure but no, I just did myself. I thought, no, I at least need to be playing a little bit before you know take some gigs. And the way I look at it too, at the moment, I mean, there's other people there that um, I think need gigs more than I do. So right, yeah, it's uh, good. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I just prefer to talk about gigs <laughs> at this stage. <laughs> oh, well, this is a great thing you're doing. Thank you, man. I know a lot yeah. of us appreciate it. Oh, no, so. that's cool. Yeah. Um, so you've, you've been part of the country music scene for a while. Yeah. Um, and you've been part of the Star Maker Band for 20 plus years. Yeah. Can you talk about that a little bit and what that is and how so, that sort of operates? So every year they – I think Toyota do a search for what they call the next star maker. All these people from around the country submit auditions and then I think there's a travelling road show where people play to judges. Anyway, they all end up in Tamworth and it used to be about 20 of them. Is this around the time of the Tamworth the music festival? Festival, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So they would do two, two songs each, 20 artists, so you're up for 40 songs and then they have guests. So you probably do about 50 songs by the end of the night. Uh, mm. It's shrunk now but back in the day that's what it was. So we would, you know, get there early on the day of rehearsals and rehearse everybody and then do the show at night mm-hmm. um, and then do an, another show in the park the next night. Mm. And that's the way it would work. Yeah. Am- <laughs> amazing. So that's a, that was a great learning. Mm. Made a lot easier by iPads. <laughs> oh, really? Right. Because back in the day you'd have all your paper charts um, and I'd have like a little Dr. Beat or something for Mm. my metronome markings, you know. Now with Fourscore, you can – I have all my charts set up. I have the song attached to the chart. I have the tempo and the the click attached to the chart. I have in-ears in. So, you know, if the artist walks up and I'm looking at her thinking, I don't even remember your song. I'm looking at the chart thinking, I have no idea what this is. 50 songs have gone past, you know. You just quickly hit, hit play, play. Ah, that quickly one. audition the song. Oh, oh yeah, wow. okay, cool. At least I can start it. Yeah, uh, you yeah, know? yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, we, we got to play with some great people. Initially those gigs were just the artists and then um, the previous winners would come back and, you know, they're substantial artists now, you know. Yeah. Andrew Farris from Inexcess played one year. Yeah. Uh, Lee Kernigan. A whole bunch of people came and mm. sat in. So, you know, you're learning stuff as you go. But – the core group of us, Sam Hawksley, Duncan Toombs, uh, Ian Lees has done a lot of those and uh, Claire O'Mara on fiddle. That group of people is almost 20 years. Wow, that's impressive. <clears throat> yeah. Great. Yeah. You know. So do you get um, 
you were talking about your, your show prep earlier, but t- for this, you, you're saying you turn up on the day, you do the rehearsals. Is this when you're getting the songs from the artist? No, no. So this is all yeah. prep we were, before we, that as well? We would try and get them a couple of weeks before that yeah. and then just, you know, woodshed, go through them, make all your notes. Yep. And yeah. are you bouncing off each other as the band while you're doing that or are you just yeah. woodshedding your own stuff and then you get together? Well, and... I mean, if something's dodgy or the chart's bad oh, okay. or the version's different or yep. the key's different you know that can happen or this section's missing or they're going to do this song but this version you know yep. you would you nut all that stuff out and mm. then yeah when you get there on the day you run through the rehearsal and then yeah i don't know you get to the end and you just what just happened do they record do they record it yeah they record it they, yeah they televise it yeah oh cool yeah excellent yeah yeah do you um do you play any other instruments no i mean i've Goof around on the keyboard, but I don't. I don't actually. No. Yep. Yeah. I play enough to make things for me to play to. Yep. You know. Okay. And um, when you learnt to read, was that just was it just drums? Yeah. Drums and rhythm. Just drums. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Gotcha. I always wanted to be a reader. Yep. You know, I've seen Gordon, and I had a lot of lessons with Andy, mm. Andy Gander. Mm. Um, you know, they. I could see how much reading helped them learn, you know, and study and develop techniques and ideas and, yeah, I just wanted to have that skill. Mm. But you would have been reading with Millen as well, right? Yeah, yeah reading with right. Millen. Yep. But reading, say, beats or exercises okay. is different to reading a, a charts chart. and understanding coders and forms and, yep. you know. Um, and then also because um, I know Gordo helped me with this when I got a lesson from him. I went there specifically to learn how to write my own really quick freehand type charts. Yeah. And he showed me how to do that. Yeah. You know, so that's... <laughs> <laughs> my favourite story of that is Mark Meyer. Yep. Was a huge drummer in Tamworth, or a huge drummer for me in general. Just yep. A phenomenal drummer. And I used to go and see him a lot. But I remember he was at Tamworth doing all these gigs, you know. we, I mean, we used to be up there for two weeks sometimes or ten days. We might do 20 or 30 gigs. Artists were playing three sets, you know. So you're learning so many songs. Mm. But Mark had this little, you know, those little notepads are about that big mm. and they just flip over. Yeah. Know? And he had somehow worked out, he just arrested it on his bass drum and he could work out that each page was a song and he just had shorthand, you know. And he would play these songs beautifully, you know. I mean, you know, he's just looking down there every now and then just to remind himself that. Yeah, he had that whole thing. Everyone's different, right? Yeah, yeah. I just write play eight, you know. Yeah. Fill at the end. Yep. Everyone does has their own mm. thing, but yeah, that's a handy. I mean, what's great is you can do all that shorthand, but then when there is a figure that you have to catch, mm. you can actually notate it, you know. Yeah. And read it. Yeah. Mm. Um. How's your reading now? My. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, in saying that, I, I, every issue of Modern Drummer I pick up, yeah, I go through and I'm. I'm, I can read the rhythms, no problems. Yeah, yeah, great. But as for, I don't know how the old hand-eye coordination would be at the moment because it's been a while since I played. But yeah, um, yeah. I've never been a great reader. No. No. I mean, I'm not either. I'm yeah. not either. Yeah. Um, but I mean, you know, that's cool. <laughs> that's yeah. cool. Um, when I asked you the other day to send me through a bio, you, you sent me through some stuff. And one thing that sort of stood out to me was a gig – you played a, a one-off gig with the Seekers, and because Judith Durham just yeah um, passed away recently, yeah. So that 
I kind of got goosebumps when I read that. So, so that was Doug Gallagher's gig. Okay. And I think the tour that I did was the 27th uh, anniversary tour, mm. which was first time I'd done entertainment centres around mm. Australia. It was like six weeks, six-week tour. And that was Sam Hawksley, myself and Mark O'Connor playing keys. Yeah, that was great. Mm. It's the beginning of sort of that touring time in my life, you know? Yeah, right. Yeah. And at the time there was a lot of country music touring back then. You would go out for three weeks at a time and, you know, do a lot of stuff. And that and that was sort of the beginning of that. But that was sort of like a, you know, a legit tour. It was great. Mm. They were good to us, um, but there was a lot of tension on that on that trip. Oh, really? Yeah. What, between them? Between them, between the manager and okay. uh, just a whole bunch of stuff, you know. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, don't have to get into that. No, it's nothing. No. It's nothing. Um, yeah, it's just one of those things when you look back, you think, ah, oh, it was a great experience, but there was all this other stuff happening, you know, like usually, a lot of those gigs. Usually, yeah, I was going to say, usually is, eh? Hey? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, but great experience. What's been a st- the standout tour for you? Standout tour? I don't know. I don't. I haven't really done a standout tour, mm-hmm. I don't think. I mean, it, that Keith Urban tour was a great experience. I always remember that being a, mm. a really big deal. Mm. Only because I got to see those guys every night. Yeah, play and it was Sam and and Matt and myself and I think Glenn Hanna was on that run with us. Um, that was a pretty great time, you know. Mm. But, yeah, I mean, there have been lots of little runs and stuff. Yeah. That have been good fun. Yeah. What about sessions? Well, if I think about sessions, my favourite sessions to do were at Ramcom Street. Have you been to that studio? No. That's Garth Porter's studio. Mostly because of um, Ted Howard, who's the engineer, who was the engineer there. So that was always the studio of choice when we were band tracking for two or three days. Okay. Um, so there'd be, you know, like Mark Punch would be playing guitar or, you know, Ian Lees or James Gillard were playing bass. These great, like guys I'd grown up, you know, watching and listening to. Mm. And But Ted Howard recording my kit was the first time I'd gone back into the control room and heard the sound that I had in my head, you know? Yeah, wow. Because it's really disillusioning um, being in the studio when you're young because you end up around a lot of people who don't know how to record drums and then, you know, you do demos with bands and they sound terrible. Mm. But to go in back into the control room and hear what he did to the kid, and I didn't understand back then and I'd sort of just thought, no, it's his domain, you know, but hearing what he'd done was so exciting. You know, and like the way that I was tuning was finally getting through, you know. Mm. So I don't really remember one session maybe, but just that, just those, that those time ones. period yep. was just wonderful, you know. Yeah. Like I Did, knew. Were you, at a, were you comfortable to, uh, asking him questions about? Yeah. No, I'm just getting to how you, you have got to the sounds that you get now, which we'll, we'll talk about. Well, I mean, just mentioning Ted, when I built this, yep. uh, I got him to come out. Okay, and booked cool. him for half a day and he just spent a half a day with me. And oh, we wow. just went That's through great. everything, recorded things, moved stuff around. You know, he really helped me get set up here. Yeah. So, yeah, there was that. But the thing with him is um, 
you've got so many things happening, you know, like because we're tracking a live band. So drums, bass, two guitars, singer, you know, and a, an acoustic in another booth. Mm. There's so much happening. I would love to have, you know, just picked his brains about what he was doing. But he's so under the pump. Yeah, okay. Uh, dealing with all those people. But, like, he's also so on the ball. Like, you'll you play the song once and you'll come back in and he'll have markers for every section. And mm. you can say to him, hey, punch me the verse. He knows exactly where that is. He's musical enough to know the form of songs mm. and, you know, where chords are, you know, in sections. Mm. So it wasn't until later on when we things relaxed a little. I'd say, how, how are you doing that to the snare? You know, and he'd say, well, look, I'm compressing it here. It's not going to tape. It's just for the the vibe in the room or whatever, you know. So I learned a little bit from him in those things but nothing like what I've learned the last year and a half, you know. Mm. But that's just me coming down here, you know, moving a mic 10 centimetres and recording it, moving it 10 centimetres and recording it. I've just spent a year down here. Yeah. You know, in Wonderland. That's awesome. <laughs> um, and what I like about your videos, uh, what's the series called? Um can I get that sound? Is that, oh, yeah. yeah. Can I get that sound? And then there'll be, I think there's a there's a Soundgarden one there. There's a David Bowie one. Um, yeah. <laughs> so um, people go back and listen, go and listen to those and you, you'll, you'll know what we're talking about. But so those songs, hey, do you, before you come, at, come down here, do you have a sound in mind or have you kind of found a sound that kind of sounds like, while you're playing it, go, oh, that sounds like that song. So then you re record record the song. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah. And, well, I mean, as an aside, when I f first started doing music videos, I remember a director who'd done a lot of videos said to me, listen, just make them. Make as many as you can. You need to do at least 30 or 40 before you start making good ones. Mm. So just get it out of the way. Learn the craft and do the, the art of it, you know. And so... When I got the studio, I mean, the, the first thing I wanted to do was relive all those beautiful sounds I'd heard all my life. Yeah, okay. But what I realised was when you – so I would pick a song. I think the – what was the first one I did? Um, Berlin, um, Take My Breath Away. Mm. Remember that ballad yeah, from yeah. that song, right? I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have an affinity with that song, but I just remember thinking, can I get – an 80s, a classic 80s reverb snare drum sound. And can I make the hats sort of sound like an 808? Can I, yeah, can I do that? So, so I came down and tuned what I thought was appropriate, picked the cymbals out, put tape on stuff, like just acoustically try and get the sound as close as possible and then move over to the computer and start messing around and yep. trying to learn how, how to shape the sound. But I've never learned more than doing those. They're the greatest learning tool. Yeah, Even yeah. if you don't put it out. I only put them out because it's sort of an accountability thing for me. Gotcha. Yeah. You know, like yeah, yeah. I, I say I'm going to make this video and it's going to go up. So yeah. do it and do it, try and do it well. That's the only reason I put it up. But like you learn so much from wood, from like, like I tried to do um, Some Like It Hot, Power Station. Remember that song? Mm -hmm. I didn't get close. I just <laughs> abandoned it, you know. Yeah, but yeah, I yeah. must have spent two or three days bashing yeah. my head against a wall trying to work out how to do that. Yep. I just couldn't do it. But I, I learned a bunch of techniques and things and, you know, you just got to get in there and get your hands dirty on all that stuff. And, 
That's cool. And then like someone like Ted will come over and show me one thing and it's like, oh, man, I was like barking up this tree and it's over here. (laughs) Yeah. They're – I mean, they're great, those things. Yeah. It's it's like learning and setting goals and things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Is there a – Sorry, I didn't really answer your question though, did I? Did I have the sound before I come down here? I always have the track in the thing. Or did you have the song in – the song that you were going to, well, s- am I going to sound like this song before you came down? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, right. yeah. So I'm like um, the Lost Lobos one I picked out because yep. I'm a huge Chad Blake fan. Yeah. I'm like, I've got to get that drum sound okay. somehow. Yeah. So I, you know, come down, put the 18-inch kick up. And yeah, right. Try and get that sound. You know? That's cool. Yeah. Do you have, are you, do you have in your mind that you'll get to a point where, um, well, before I came here and we started talking, after mm. watching all those videos, I had no idea you were just doing it for yourself. See, I had it in my mind that you do sessions here. I do. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, and, and because they, it all sounds so fucking good. Oh, you know? <laughs> well, thanks. Yeah. So, yeah, okay, well, let's talk a little bit about the the sessions that you're doing then. Well, I mean, initially I built this and I thought, it's either going to go two ways. It's either going to be something that's sustainable and I can do yep. or it's just going to end up being a room where I practice or teach. Yep. Right? But the goal was to have a place where I could practice again, like really go through exercises and, yep. you know, develop just techni- technically and musically. Yep. Uh, but also to re- because I'm just so infatuated with sounds to learn how to get those sounds and record them for people, you know. But I never advertised. I sort of put the videos out as a means of letting people know that I had a space and that's what I was doing. Okay. But I never sort of put a thing up saying, hey, I'm doing remote sessions because one, I never felt comfortable with whether I could pull it off Mm. or, you know, if I'd send the right file types or the right sample rate or Mm. get the gain structure right, the phasing, you know, there's a lot in it. Mm. So I didn't advertise and I just thought I'll just let it, if it grows and we'll just see what happens, you know. And just one thing led to another and I mean now I'm down here most days doing something. Wow, that's cool, Or at cool, least man. two or three a week. Good you on know, you. That's people. great. Yeah. But I think, what, you know, like COVID was the impetus for everyone working remotely. Yeah. But now it's actually, it can be viable and I can be so much more creative here. Yeah. You know what I mean? I've got all the toys out there. Yeah. Shakers and weird things. And yeah, I can yeah, spend yeah. time detuning stuff. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, I like to just pull the kit apart and start fresh for each song and, you know, pull a big bass drum out or something. And yeah, it's great. That's cool, man. I mean, recording is so much fun. Yeah. yeah. Now, being a self produced drummer, then, do you find yourself when you're playing through a track? Um, oh, how do I explain this? Do you have any problem taking the producer hat off while you're while you're playing your 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 um, your drum part? Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. How, how do I? Well, I'll tell you the strange the strangest thing about it is, um, sometimes you'll get a track with a programmed drum part, and it's really close, and they'll say, "Hey, it's really we we like this vibe. It's really close." Do your own thing, but stick to this in a sense, okay, you know, like, like drum patterns or hits or sonically, you know. Other times you'll just get an acoustic guitar with nothing yep. and they'll say, you know, go crazy. Um, 
So, but think about that scenario and all the records that I grew up loving where they would spend a week on the drum sounds. Yeah. Like think about um, Hello, I Must Be Going, Phil Collins, right? All those songs and those sounds are built around the drum kit and the way it sounds and, mm. you know, sonically how things work. Mm. So someone sends you a guitar track and you're making all those decisions for you from the beginning, You, in a sense you're producing the way the next guy is going to react to your part. Yep. Do you know what I mean? Yep. Like the way you play, the sounds you choose and the way you set it up, it's the way the bass player is going to react to that and then the guitarist and then yep. it's stacking like that. Mm. So you're making a lot of really important decisions early on, you know, and someone's just sort of said, hey, we trust you or, or do you think, mm. you know. So I don't know. I don't consider myself a producer at all mm. because I don't have enough harmonic knowledge, you know. But I do have a, a an opinion, I guess, on how I like things to sound and you just hope it lines up. Yep. Uh, and then don't be afraid to just – I mean, I've done a lot of studio work so I, I can take um, direction and critique. Yep. It's not an issue for me. Yeah, that's good. I would rather come out of it with something the artist is happy with and play something that I didn't really think fits than the other way around. Mm -hmm. Happy to make sure they're happy. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Because if, if I'm happy and they're not, that's a miserable feeling. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Is there one bit of gear that you're really after? You're chasing at the moment? Oh, uh, I that, mean. That you would like? Yeah. Well, I mean, my philosophy with this whole thing was industry standard workhorses. Okay. So like 57s and beta 52s on the kick. Yeah. Stuff that everyone's used, nothing boutique. Yep. Because like if you'd said to me, hey, what's what's a 57 sound like before I set the studio up? I mean, they've been on my snare drums all my life. Yep. I can't – I couldn't have told you what a 57 sounds like or what it does to the sound or how it's different from another mic. Mm -hmm. So I probably should learn, you know, what everyone else is using, what that sounds like first yep. and then build from there, gotcha. right? So, yeah, I just – I mean, so I would love some expensive Neumanns. Yeah. Especially on the kick. Okay. Um, but yeah, no. This is all stock standard stuff, yep. mm -hmm. which everyone's used for decades. Because yeah. I figure that's the best way to learn, right? Yeah, right. You yeah, know? it is. How, how much do you rely on plugins? Well, the plugins are essentially useless when you do a session for somebody mm -hmm. because they're you, gonna... you end up sending the raw tracks. Yep. I always send a stereo version of my vision, you know, with all my plugins on it because yeah. I'm in deep into the plugin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I always send that to them so that more so they know where I was coming from, yep. what I was trying to achieve. You gotcha. Because, you know, if you pull up the raw tracks and, you know, I'm hitting some tambourine thing with a piece of bamboo and it sounds like crap, but if you go back and listen to the stereo mix, you'd see that I put a delay on it and I crunched it and put it up in the corner and it's supposed to be a little thing up here, not the whole yeah, thing, yeah, you know. Gotcha, yeah. So they need a reference of what you were thinking. But, um, yeah, I love the plug-in thing. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Favourite plug-in? Favourite plug-in. Uh, I'm going to say Echo Boy from Sound Toys. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. I'm partial to delays. I just love, <laughs> I love the sound of a delay, yeah. you know. Um, what, On, about, what about – what about – Solo music. 
do you have you ever written your own stuff or written record written and recorded your own stuff that you'll one day release? I have, but I haven't okay. thought about it. I have been thinking more about it. I have been thinking more about it. Mm. Maybe not song wise, but maybe just I'll do a crazy sound. Mm-hmm. A crazy sound collection of things. Like drum beats with industrial things on. Yeah, like a sample pack type sort of. Oh, not a sample pack, but like a contained piece of work. Oh, okay. But not song format, maybe. I'm gotcha. Because I think I've just boxed myself into a corner thinking, oh, I can't do that. I can't do that. Well, maybe I should just do me. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Something crazy. Yeah. Even though it's, you know, I probably should do that. Going back to that. You were talking about you do your videos and it's accountability for yourself. And once you say you're going to, you know, you tell yourself you're going to do this video, then yeah. you, you do it. I wrote and recorded and produced an EP with that mindset. Yeah. Because I'd, I'd, I'd written songs for years and never released anything. So one day, it was not long after New Year's, I just like got on got on my GoPro and said, hey, I'm going to release it, blah, 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 blah. And I put it up online and that was it. So from that. There's the accountability, yeah, and that, that's it's what important. Solo music, and yeah. you see people do that with uh, like weight loss, you know, yeah, yeah. Like yep. they'll put up a post, "Hey, I'm starting today. I'm doing this thing. Yep. I'm doing this challenge or whatever." Yeah, you know? yeah. And I think it's great, mm. you know. It's, I mean, you know, if people are going to see stuff, you want to make sure it's good, yeah, and it stretches you, you know. Mm. Yeah, but all that stuff's like a diary for me. Yeah, it's cool. It's not. It's not for any other any other reason, really. Yeah. So I can look back, you know. Yeah. But um, yeah, I'll link all that stuff in the show notes. Oh yeah, cool. But um, Glenn, man, oh sorry. We, so I was gonna say, did you release your record? I did, yeah. Oh. Yeah, it's on Spotify and Apple Music and stuff. And, awesome. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, Glenn Wilson, it's been a pleasure, man. I'm. Yeah, I I, I really wish I had a garage and a shed at home where I can build a drum room because while I've been talking to you, you've seen me just staring at your drums <laughs> while we're talking as well. Like I'm, I'm envious, man. It's a so wonderland. I'm, yeah, no, no. <laughs> well, I don't take it lightly. It's, no, I, it's, I know. It's a yeah. huge blessing to me and yep. the family. So, mm. Yeah. Cool, man. Yeah. It's been great to talk to you. I wish you all the best with oh, thank you. all your recordings and gigs and can't wait to see more videos and – yeah, oh, thanks. and then hang thanks out again. Having... We're going to do a Steve Ferroni. Oh, so you're putting it out there? I'm putting it out there. <laughs> there we go. So the next the next spotlight episode is a, a Steve Let's Steve do a Ferroni. Steve Ferroni. Yeah, let's One do it. One of my heroes. All right, Glenn. Thanks again, man. Thank you, Steve. Take it easy. I appreciate bro. it. Yeah, sweet as.